0: Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson The Gospel of John, that you may believe. The Word became flesh. The original date of this message was the 25th of September, 2022. Welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. Thank you all so much for, for joining us this morning. What a blessing to sing praises to our wonderful God and to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be reminded through songs just how truly worthy he is. Worthy of devoting the next, I don't know, two years, three years, however long it's going to take us to go through the, the book of John to just behold Jesus for who he is and all of his wonder, and all of his glory. Hey, if um, you have a prayer request, please let us know. If you're new, um, or haven't been with us for a while, uh, give us some contact if we don't have it. We'd love to just know that you are, you are here with us this morning, and we'd love to pray for you. If you have any questions, we'd love to get those as well. Hey, I can't wait to get into God's word, so let's, let's, let's get right into it. Before we turn to the, the gospel of John, and we will be looking at the first 18 wonderful, marvelous, great, great verses all about Christ, I want to start our time off in Exodus 33. John goes in, in his gospel in chapter 1 to Moses in a comparison of Moses and the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to do a little background with Moses. Moses exodus chapter 33 and in order for us to truly understand what is happening here it's good to kind of backtrack a little bit follow moses's journey with the lord up to this point you remember the lord approaches him calls him into service he then uses moses in miraculous ways to lead the people of israel out of egypt They get out of Egypt, and then the Lord calls Moses up on top of the mountain. And when he's up there, everything's going fine until he comes back. And as he comes back and he comes down, you'll remember that they are worshiping the golden calf. And of course, Moses gets frustrated. God, in his grace, instead of wiping them all out, sends Moses, hey, go back, and I want you to keep leading these people. And then we pick it up in 33, verse 12, and we're going to go all the way down to 23 because this is significant for what we're going to see in the life of Jesus. Then Moses said to the Lord, that is Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Obviously, Moses wants a little bit of help. Perhaps he's frustrated with his brother. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Reminding God of what God obviously already knew. Isn't that the way we are at times? And he said, this is Yahweh speaking back to Moses, notice this. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses, I don't know who you're expecting. God, of course, knows. We don't. But I will go with you. Remember, all that God has already done on behalf of Moses up to this point, the ten plagues, so much more speaking to him, encouraging him, strengthening him, using him. And look at Moses' response. Then he, Moses, said to him, Yahweh, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how, how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? What's he saying, Hey, what designates us as different from any other people in this entire world is one fact that you are with us. And if you don't go with us, then this is a lost cause. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. It still wasn't enough for Moses. Show me your splendor. Why does he say, show me your glory? Because God's spirit? Glory is that representation of what we can see, of who God is. Amazingly so. And he, that is the Lord, said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. What does that look like? And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. What does that sound like? And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Why? Because I'm sovereign. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by because I am such a loving, gracious, and merciful God. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Why? Because he's already told him, if you see my face, Moses, you will die. Why? Because God is holy, Moses is not. Because God is altogether glorious, and Moses is not. Because God is altogether righteous, and Moses is not. And yet what Moses wanted more than anything was the presence of God. Then he wanted to literally see God. Just let me catch a glimpse of your glory. Do you know what we're going to see this morning? We're going to see God's answer. In full and living color. You, you want to know what the presence of God looks like? Turn with me to John chapter 1. Amazing beyond amazing. Amazing that even back then that God would know what his plan of redemption was and exactly what would happen. That God would take on human form and flesh. That the word became flesh. So amazing. So remarkable. And such a wonderful thing to consider. I don't know if any preacher anywhere can do this justice this side of glory to think of what this really means and the salvation that has been imparted to us because of the lord jesus christ and the majesty and the magnitude and the greatness of the lord jesus christ that is in every one of these verses everything points to him and this is just john starting off this is really just his intro this is the marquee on the theater as you drive by, as you look to tell you, hey, this is what this movie's about. This is, hey, this is what this book is about. I'm not going to hide anything from you guys. I want you to believe, and I want you to believe in him right here. I'm going to describe him. I'm going to give you different names, but it's all about the same. It's all about the son of God. Okay, I'm too riled up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, your word is sufficient. Your word is powerful and unto itself. And I pray that you would speak through your word and your word alone. Set me aside, Lord. We want to see you, Lord Jesus, for who who you are and all your greatness and all your majesty and we want you to transform us. We know that you are doing that, Lord, but we also know that we get in the way an awful lot So keep the distractions to a minimal. Use your word in our hearts and in our lives. Write it on our hearts that we might leave here changed with a greater understanding of you, Jesus, and how great, truly magnificent you are. So bless this time. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So... There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father He has explained him. These verses are truly significant. A proper understanding, a proper knowledge, and a proper heart's response to what is presented to us changes your eternal state, changes where you will spend eternity. And make no mistake, that is where John is going. Everything is directed towards verses 12 to 13 in this. Everything else is, is presented, then kind of presented again in a little bit more detail. 12 and 13, when he gets really again to the purpose, why? So that you might receive him, that you might believe in him. He doesn't want to repeat that. He wants to make that front and center. And everything else is pointing to that. And so what we're going to see this morning is why the word became flesh so that you, might an, you and I might answer these three questions which will determine your eternal destiny. And Lord willing, you've already answered these questions in the affirmative, in the affirmative. amen. Yes, I know this man. But if you haven't, man, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to come from, from the darkness into the light, to step from death into life. Why? Because the one who holds life is who we're going to be looking at now. So three questions that I want to present to us through these verses. First, do you know him? Do you know what is presented to us in this, the word of God? Do you know who he is? Second, do you know what he did? And third, simply, have you received him? The first question that we see, it, 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 it goes to the first five verses and the last three. Do you know him? Who is this word? Why does John start off here? We kind of already went here. We know that this phraseology that John uses is to remind us of Genesis 1. That what he is doing from the beginning and letting us know what we should know about this word is that he has no beginning. And even when he says that he was there in the beginning in the Greek it's understood that, that he was already continually continuing on when the beginning happened. So when the origin of all things began this word was there. That he, he was already existing that's how this everything else in existence was able to begin. That he is indeed eternal. That he is indeed the pre-existing one. And even though Mark, in fact, turn there with me, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark uses a similar terminology, but he does it with a different purpose in mind. And he's presenting Jesus in a little different light. Mark really is, this, is, is the fastest version of any of the Gospels. He just wants to get from point A to point B as quickly as he can. So he kind of separates this and that. And he keeps going right at presenting Jesus as the ultimate servant. And as he starts, this is how he starts off his Gospel. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how he starts his gospel off. Hey, this is what this is about. This is about Jesus Christ, and what I'm going to tell you now is the beginning, the beginning of the gospel. What what, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the earthly or public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he starts. He's going to go to his baptism just about right away in John, and he highlights John in the the baptism. You, You won't see any of that. You see the witness of John, but you don't see any particulars about him. Why? Because there are two different reasons why they were written. It's as if John is saying this, yes, yes, you you know my my brother, my co-laborer Mark. And no doubt you've read what he wrote. And he takes you back to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. But listen, I want to take you back further. I want to take you back to the beginning, to Genesis 1.1. No, actually, I want to take you back further than that. We can't go back to where he begins because he has no beginning. He is the word. And that is what we must first come to recognize, what we must first understand about this man. Do you know him? As the pre existing one, as the eternal one. And then do you know him as this? How he is described. Notice the word that John uses. It's a word that I've probably already used I don't know how many times. And we use it all the time. Word. Does that mean anything to you? Is there significance behind how he is described? There is. And yet in our English language because we use this word that word all the time it's it's lost some of its power some of its significance what 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 it truly means and and literally all it is is communication that's what you could write down you could you could say in the beginning was the communication it's it's the idea of that which is in the mind is then expressed out loud And we must consider, what if God had been forever silent? Like that. Just silent. Never spoke. Never communicated. Never gave us communication. Never let us know where everything began. Never let us know about him. Never let us know about his plan of redemption. What if God were just silent? Man, truly something significant that we need to consider, that we need to know that our God is a God that communicates, that our God is a personal God. That's where we go next. Not only is he a God that was forever existing, not only is he a God that is a communicative God that communicates and speaks, but he is a God in close relationship. For we see that the word as described here was with God. Notice he says this before he says that he is God. He says that he's with God, that they existed together in some sort of relationship. And, and unlike our English language and prepositions, the word with just, you, you can use it in all sorts of different ways. You can say, oh, well, those people outside, they haven't come inside, but they're with us. And there's not a whole lot of difference between the locations that you add. But in the Hebrew and the Greek language, you can add nuances to prepositions. And in this case, there's there's a nuanced understanding that that when it says that he was with God, the word was with God, it means that he was in close proximity, that he's right there with them. And, And we see this again in verse 18. Notice what it says in verse 18. The only begotten God who was what? In the bosom of the Father. That means close, right beside him. Right there. That as he existed before the creation of all things, never having a beginning, he was in the bosom. He was literally close to the Father's heart. That's what that word means. It's, it's what we all should picture of Jesus, Right? eating with his disciples, not the way that we do. They, they would lie down, and they'd have their shul- one, one of their arms on the ground, and their shoulder would be shoulder to shoulder, almost chest to, to back or chest to chest, really close to each other, intimate like that. that that's what this word is, that they existed in this tight relationship. It, it's also used for a parent with their children. our little girl right now who just always wants my wife to hold her. That's what this is. That's how the word existed with God. And yet now we see next that it, it, it isn't that he's subservient to God, that he's a servant to God, sent to do his deeds, and, and somehow God the Father's up here, and, and, and this, the word, is is lower. No, because what we see next is that the word was God. And again, it's in the the same tense in the Greek, which means that he was continually forever having been continuing on as God. So you can look into the past as far as you can, and that's how he existed. You look today, you go tomorrow, it never changes. That is who he is. That he indeed was God. And in this we see what? Well, we see that, that our God is a triune God. That the Bible teaches that he, he is Trinity. And in that, that there is one God in three persons. And as much as we can't understand, what we do see is that they have so much that is exactly the same. That is, is as far as their essence, their character, their perfections, They are all one and the same. But in their personhood, they are not. They are what? They are distinct. And in their function and in their role, they are distinct. And we see this now. That this word of God existed with God in this close proximity relationship with God as well as being God. And then we see this. What else must you and I recognize and understand? Do you know him? Do you know that he is your creator? That that's what this word is. Again, pointing back to Genesis. Why? Because how, was all, how were all things created in six days, right? Because the seventh day he rested. How was, how was it created? Speech. God spoke. None of us can do that. This speaks to the power of our God. This speaks to the greatness of our God. This speaks to the word. How encouraging is this? How challenging is this? That all things came into being through him and nothing exists right now that didn't come through him. That means you and I? That means every baby that has been aborted? All made in God's image. All with God's Fingerprint on them. But it goes further than that, right? Try to count the stars. I mean, you, you can write it down and you can come up with some weird word that I don't, I don't even know that I truly even understand exactly how many stars there are in the universe. Ten octillion or something like that. Ten with 23 zeros behind it. That's in the known universe. There's a billion stars in each galaxy. Hundreds of billions of galaxies. And so what you're ending with is something beyond our imagination and our understanding. Ten with 27 zeros behind it. All of that speaks to how great our God is. But on the other side, it speaks to what we saw in Moses. That in spite of all of that, this is the God that communicates. This is the God that graces us and graces us and graces us and and bestows favor upon us again and again and again. And the definition of grace is you don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but he gives it anyways. So this word, this pre-existing eternal one who was in this close relationship with God, but he was also God. He's the creator God, but notice in what we see in verse 4, he goes on. And he now he he calls him the life and the light of men. And again, pointing back to the beginning days, what there was darkness. And imagine this. Okay, we, we thought about what it would be like if God were silent. What would it be like if God never made light? And didn't speak light into the darkness. And, and what does darkness represent? In scripture it represents sin. And so in this we see why the word came and what the word was going to be all about. Taking us from darkness into light. Again, this points to God's glory. Because God can't be seen. So how do you see God? You see God through the Shekinah glory, the glory of the Lord that's represented Many times in scripture is this bright light for the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. What was it? It was a fire at night, a cloud during the day. That was how God was to be understood. What? His presence is with us. All of that is pointing to God's glory being what? Being visible. This is all ramping up to get to the crescendo that John can't wait but to get to. And he gets to it in verses 16 to 18 that we must understand. Do you know him? Do you know who this word is? Because the word has a name. And John gives it to us in verses 6 to 18 where he says this, for of his fullness, he's speaking of that word, of his completeness. We have all received in grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. Does that sound familiar? The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So what is this doing? This is giving us this comparison between Moses and the Word who has now told us his name is Jesus Christ. And he's saying as wonderful as Moses was and as a blessing that he was to the nation of Israel and what is he the picture of? He's a picture of their Savior. And yet he's a picture of a very imperfect Savior. And then as God in his oh so gracious way gives the Ten Commandments, who does he give them to? Through Moses. And yet what does that point to? Does that point to salvation? No, it actually points to the complete opposite. Because even though the Ten Commandments are truly good, what they end up doing is condemning us. Because every one of us finds out that we cannot live up to even one of them. And so in that, that's God's grace on display. And what is is John doing? He's he's giving us this, this contrast and he's saying, okay, look at Moses, look at Moses, look at Moses can't be saved through it. He can't even see the face of God. He only gets to see the backside of him. And yet God is just pouring out grace upon grace through Moses. And then he says, but look at this word. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is entirely different. Why? Because no one can see God at any time. They would be annihilated, but this is God, and this is God has existed in relationship with God the Father throughout all of time, closely. And so if there's anyone that is able to accurately represent who God is, it is who? The Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he rounds everything off by saying, man, what did he do? He explained God the Father like no one else can. Why? Because God the Father is spirit. And so to speak, the job of the Son was to point to the Father. The job of the Son was to make the Father's will known. The job of the Son was to illuminate all of us that we might know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And just this amazing plan that the Lord had. And it all is rooted in this, the Word of God. So that is what we must understand about the word. That he is called Jesus and God. That he alone can explain God. Think about this. Moses was told what? You can't even look at my face or else you will die. And yet Jesus Christ existed and has existed as God for all of eternity. He is God. The glory of God was revealed in Jesus Christ and yet nobody was wiped out as they came face to face with Jesus when he walked this earth. Being perfectly God and perfectly man, could that have happened? Yes. But God is so gracious, so loving, and he knew that the plan of redemption would mean that it would cost his son. He knew that Jesus was the exact representation of God the Father, so everything he wanted to communicate to us is given through Jesus Christ but I don't want us to think and I'm glad that that at least my Bible I don't have red letter print in my Bible anymore do you know people get all mixed upside down and they think oh because it's in red it it must actually be higher in greater authority than the rest of the Bible the entire Bible is inspired all of it comes from God and so it's no less God's word if it comes from the Apostle Paul or whether or not it's a quote unquote, in the Gospel of John that is actually giving us one of the words of Jesus or one of the phrases or, or a sermon that Jesus preached. Why? Because God had his hand in all of what we know as the inspired scripture in our hands. So praise the Lord that he's given us this word. So what was the grace that was received through Jesus Christ that the law couldn't give? What is so much greater about Jesus Christ? The grace and the truth that were realized through Jesus Christ is salvation. Him offering his life. That is what John is pointing to. That is what John is reminding us of. So, do you know about him? Do you know who he is? Do you know that the Word of God is indeed Jesus Christ? That it is through him that the glory of God is represented, that it is seen, that you can receive it, and in that, that it is grace and truth. And that Jesus existed with God, as God, and then came to make God known to all of us. Just think about how Moses didn't see God face to face, but still made his words known. Such as in the Ten Commandments. Jesus is greater than Moses in every way imaginable. And he existed with God in this eternal, deep, intimate relationship. And he saw God and and lived. Why? Because he is God. So do you know him? But there's more expressed to us than just knowing who he is. We must also understand what he is did and let me start in verses six to eight because what he did is represented in the fact that he is called to be the true light so what he did was to come and to and to give light to one and all and to take us from the darkness into the light and so it makes sense that john then would start with john the baptist there came a man sent from god notice god's in the focus whose name was John, he came as a witness to testify about the light. Why? So that all might believe through him. Again, that's his purpose. Hey, that's what John did. John was not pointing to himself. He was pointing to Jesus Christ, the one that would come after me, and I want you to believe unto him because he is the one that can grant you salvation. I can't. And then look at what it says about John. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And then we see in the next three verses, 9, 10, 11, that the word was the true light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Again, he, he repeats this. He's already told us he's the creator but he lets us know now again so that we wouldn't forget it. That all things came into existence through him but then he adds this rather dark and depressing statement. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So even though he'd made the world, the world rejected him. But what about his own? What about those that he came to that were his own? Verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. And so we see this complete irony that even though he created all and he had created them, That instead of receiving him as the word, as that communication from God to man, they instead rejected that communication and said, no, I don't believe that, I don't want that, stay away from me. And we see that he was in the world and the world was made through him. Therefore, he is the owner of all within the world. And yet we in our own rebellion choose not to listen to him. But the greatest work that he did is seen in verse 14. This is the one that I would think Moses wasn't ready for. That if Yahweh had responded, okay, hold on, let me become man. That Moses wouldn't have believed it. But that's exactly what happens. This is what we must understand about what the Word did. And the Word, remember, this is God. Remember, this is the pre existing, this is the eternal one. This is the one who created all things. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word to dwell is to stake up your tent, to pitch your tent, it's to tabernacle in the Old Testament usage. They would pick up the tabernacle, move it on as soon as the cloud lifted. God would tell them, okay, now you need to follow that cloud and then again raise up that tent. For those of us that went to family camp last week, we have this picture in our mind. All of those tents being raised, right? The poles going in. That's the idea, but think of this. This isn't you and I just going to a place for a couple days and then coming home. This is God becoming flesh, dwelling with us, walking with us, eating the same kinds of food that we would eat, seeing the same heartache that you and I see, walking the same roads that we walk. All of this portraying his incredible love and his plan of redemption. That the word would become flesh and dwell among us. And and then we see and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. That as Jesus represents God's glory, do you notice what's associated with that glory? Two things. Grace and truth. No one else has the truth but God and he has all truth and so now the truth that comes through Jesus Christ has been given to us and that is what we are partaking in as we look at the gospel of John as we look at all of God's word what a blessing it is to us that we have been given grace upon grace that he has given us this truth and this truth could have also been translated as as that which is reliable That's another nuanced meaning of it. And is that not the epitome of what Jesus Christ is for us? In all that he does, he's reliable to accomplish what he said he will accomplish. And the promises that he gives to you and I, that he is reliable to fulfill them. Doesn't that encourage your heart this morning? knowing that, that, that God will go with Larissa every step of the way through her surgery. That he will be with her. That he will be with you. That he's with you today in whatever you are going through. That he wants to be the light in your life. To shine into the darkness in those times where you start to doubt him. That you're like Moses. Hey, gonna, who are you going to send? And he says, what do you mean? I'm with you. I have been with you. Be encouraged that I am with you. So we must know what he did. What did he do? He did the most amazing thing imaginable. He took on flesh. He became one of us. And that culminates in what? On the cross. To purchase redemption. That was the intended plan the entire time. And we must know what that means. For sinners like you, sinners like me, that that is grace on top of grace, heaping grace upon heaping grace. Which is where John goes last. Have you received him? Look at verses 12 to 13. Notice it's it's in contrast to those that were his own that didn't receive him to those in the world that he had made that rejected him that did not know him and then he gives us these glorious two verses in complete contrast but look at this look at god's grace heaped upon heaped upon grace and grace and grace because there are some but as many as received him that received him as the word of god sent to save us from our sins to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Notice, it isn't us that that demands this right. This is him giving us this right. And yet, in this right, notice how flipped upside down this is. Because usually, you become a part of my family by, by blood. Right? You're born into my family, unless we do adoption or something like that. But generally, the, the, the way that we do it is, particularly now, oh, we're not, we're not going to have children right away. We're going to hold off and that at a certain time, okay, then we will start our family. And then you, you are part of my family. But notice how John and, and God phrases how all of this happens. How we become children of God. Who were born, and he flips everything upside down. Not of blood. No, it's not through the normal means. You don't get this because your parents have it. Or your great-great-aunt Aunt Mabel was a missionary. So then it's passed. No. It's between you and the Lord. It's nor of the will of the flesh. You can't muster this up in yourself. Nor is this the will of man. It's not something that you're going to desire unless the Lord changes your heart. Why? Because left to ourselves, we will just continue to stiff arm God. But God reaches in, and we see that it is by what? By His will, by His grace, that we are able to believe in His name, and that is the most glorious thing ever. That we would believe in His name, and that we would trust what Jesus Christ did as sufficient payment, that it was enough. And then I don't have to add anything to what Jesus did. In fact, if I try to add, then I am actually pushing aside the grace of God. And I'm saying, no, this is by my own works instead of by what Jesus accomplished on my behalf. Let me wrap things up with this. John ends this, this introduction, this prologue with, with the words, no one has seen God the Father but the son and the son is the one who is what explained him he's made him known think of that the greatness of Jesus and all that we're going to see in these next chapters these 21 chapters of the gospel of John all points to and mirrors the greatness of God as we see the greatness of Jesus the magnitude of Christ's love for us you know what that reflects? That reflects the magnitude of God's, God the Father's love for us. The, the greatness of Christ's grace, which is just heaping and heaping, right? We, we saw it in the, in the first eight signs, or these eight signs that, that we walked through. Again and again and again. Not just the raising of Lazarus, which Lazarus didn't deserve, But over and over and over again, we see God's grace on display. And all of that is what? It's a picture of God's grace poured out in vivid living color so that we could see it and that we could know, oh, that's from God. That's from our loving Father who created us. Amen? Points to ponder. I I just want us to consider week after week, what are we going to do with this? Now that you've heard all of this, now that we've spent some time considering just truly how great Jesus Christ is and how he is the word of God, consider how John was not the light but testified about him. Do you do the same? We should. And that someone becomes a child of God only by the will of God. How does this encourage you when you're sharing a Christ with others? Who is it that shines the light of the truths of the gospel into the dark hearts of the unsaved that you witness to? Listen, it's not about us, it's about him. And, and all that we're to be are, are his mouthpieces. We're to be the instruments in his hands that he will use however he wants to use them, us. And so what we do is, is we just share truth and then we let the Lord work. And perhaps he'll work right there and right then or perhaps you will be just the first one to come alongside and to prepare that soil so that later on someone would would come forward and they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ how great is this grace of our God that he would continue to lavish it upon us grace upon grace this is just the beginning. We haven't even gotten in to the life of Jesus yet. Oh, the depths of God's word. May we all continue to grow. Let me pray as Pastor Shane comes up and the worship team. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It, it is water to our thirsty souls. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you that you are not a God that is silent. We thank you that you are not a God that keeps us in the dark, but that you have shown the light of your Son on us. And I pray that any here this morning that do not know you, Lord Jesus Christ, as their Savior, as the light of the world, as the one who paid sin's price upon the cross, that we might not have to pay the price for our own sin, which is eternal separation and death, but that we could become children of you. Lord God, I pray that they would believe in you, they would trust in you this morning and let one of the pastors or one of the worship team, one of the elders, one of the people sitting here that know you, that they know know you, help walk them through what that looks like. We rejoice in you, Lord, and pray that as we continue on this morning that you would receive the praise and the glory for how good you are to us and how wonderful our Savior is being the Word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.